Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of The Emma Gunn Show is brought to you in collaboration with Skin and Me. Hello, hi, and welcome to a very special episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and I have a real treat for you in this episode. Three consultant dermatologists answer your questions about all things skin and skincare. My guests are the consultant dermatologist, Dr. Malvina Cunningham, Dr. Ben Esdale and Dr. Jason Thompson, who work in private practice and the NHS and are the three derms behind Skin and Me. Now, regular listeners and those of you who follow me on Instagram will know that since I started using Skin and Me um, around the end of 2020, I have noticed a profound improvement in my skin, which is why I was keen to create this episode to share their expertise and experience with you, my most excellent listeners. The idea that Malvina, Ben and Jason came up with was a direct-to-consumer subscription skincare brand with a team made up of industry-leading dermatologists and pharmacist prescribers. There are only 650 registered consultant dermatologists here in the UK and if you're on an NHS waiting list, you could be waiting up to one year to be seen. As a result of this, people are self-diagnosing and self-prescribing to try to tackle their issues. And look, there's excellent skincare out there, we know that. But if you're layering a ton of ingredients in quantities that aren't entirely measured, then you can end up in a situation that a lot of Malvina, Ben and Jason's patients find themselves in, which is that their skin has become hypersensitive, overwhelmed, overstimulated and oversensitized. In short, you're actually getting further away from your skin goals than closer to them. What you get with Skin and Me via their online questionnaire and team is prescription strength ingredients that work for your skin without the long wait or the expense. I've done this myself, as you'll know. It's literally a case of filling out an online dermatology consultation, which takes around five minutes, and then the expert dermatology team review your consultation and then a daily doser containing the most effective combination and concentration of active ingredients to get you to your best skin will be sent to you. The monthly subscription for this is £19.99. So when you actually break that down, that makes each daily dose just 66 pence. Pretty amazing. As I said, I've been using it for around six, seven weeks now, and they have really delivered on their promise in terms of how my skin has responded. And perhaps one of the most exciting things about Skin and Me is having such an expert team behind the brand. And so... In this episode, I wanted to get them together to share with you their expertise and answer your questions. 
These questions came in via the Facebook group. The link to join is in the show notes, never forget. And I found their answers and insights really helpful and actually really fascinating. A lot of myth busting. Um, there's a lot of myth busting, a lot of truth telling in here. So don't be surprised if you find yourself taking notes. I asked them to sort of go over things a couple of times because I was like, really? I learned so, so much and I hope you find this episode useful too. All of the links will be in the show notes as you would expect. And you can, of course, find out more by visiting www.skinandme.com. But here they are, Dr. Malvina Cunningham, Dr. Ben Esdale and Dr. Jason Thompson from Skin and Me on The Emma Gunn Show. Hello, hi, and welcome. Boy, this is a treat because I don't have one dermatologist for you. I don't have two dermatologists for you. I have three dermatologists on the podcast who are going to share their expertise and answer your questions. Because let's face it, who doesn't want to find their way to their best skin ever? And how better to do it than by seeing a dermatologist? And I have three wonderful ones with me. So shall we start? Jason, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah. Hi, Emma. So I'm Dr. Jason Thompson, and I'm a dermatologist, been working in the NHS for the past five years. Uh, in addition to my clinical work, I'm also interested in dermatology research. So my research interests include skin cancer and uh, skin cancer genetics. And I've been working from skin and me, for Skin and Me for the past six months full time as their head of medical. Wowzers. OK, and we also have Malvina here. Malvina, would you like to say hello? Hi, Emma, and hi, listeners, and um, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, so I'm Malvina Cunningham, and I'm, yeah, I'm a consultant dermatologist, and I work in the uh, private sector and in the NHS as well. And um, so I started my dermatology journey actually in research when I was doing a PhD during my medical studies, and I got into um, interested in wound healing and collagen production, and, uh, and sort of, yeah, that got me into dermatology. And now I specialize in inflammatory dermatology. So I uh, lead um, at a large NHS trust, the sort of inflammatory dermatoses clinics. And I also specialize in um, acne and I love skincare. Um, and I'm a keen teacher. So I'm an honorary um, senior lecturer at university and I teach GPs um, dermatology. And last but not least, Ben, would you like to say hello? Hello everyone, uh, lovely to be here. So I'm Ben Esdale, I'm a, a consultant dermatologist. Um, I've worked at um, in a, the NHS for almost 20 years. Um, I work in North London, I work uh, in the private sector as well. Um, I see all aspects of uh, dermatology, paediatric, adults, um, and a particular interest with skin cancer. Um, also involved in research and teaching. And one of the reasons why it's so good to have three dermatologists on the line is because there are only 650 registered consultant dermatologists here in the UK. And I know we have a lot of international listeners, but for those of you who have ever wanted to get an appointment with a dermatologist or have tried to find a dermatologist, if you've ever thought it was slightly harder than you thought, that's because actually it's not always the easiest thing. You might have to wait a little while. So we've got three wonderful dermatologists here. And as you know, they all work for Skin and Me. You've heard me talk about how wonderful I think that proposition is so I am going to unashamedly mine their expertise and I'm going to ask them some questions that have been very kindly submitted via the Facebook group so let's kick off Malvina I think this one is going to be perfect for you the question is I would like to know what sort of people would benefit from seeing a dermatologist. I have okay skin, a few breakouts and blackheads. Does that mean I would still benefit from seeing one or not? 
Well, um, obviously, I'm going to say everyone benefits from seeing a dermatologist at some point in their life. No, but I mean, I mean, to be serious, you know, obviously, I don't think there is a cutoff in seeing a dermatologist. I think particularly if you have a skin condition, there is a tendency to uh, sort of, you know, not see skin conditions medically. And actually, you know, we are trained in doing this. And there are treatments out there that we know work and, and we know the side effects. And, and so any, anyone benefits from that. So if you've got a skin condition, even if it's mild, actually seeing a dermatologist is a good idea, but obviously that's not always possible. And um, so, so starting things um, over the counter or seeing your GP is, is a really good um, sort of first step. When it comes specifically to uh, your concerns like breakouts and blackheads, etc., I, I do think that is a medical condition actually. Um, and uh, it, it, it's often sort of put into sort of the cosmetic bracket. And I see a lot of people struggling um, with that condition using lots of over-the-counter products and, and, you know, not getting the guidance and getting it wrong. So if you've tried several products over the counter, if you're not getting better, and particularly if you're getting scarring and if things are getting worse, I think it's worth seeing someone because you can um, get enormous benefit quite early and sort of stop any of the unwanted side effects and, and also the emotional stress um, to do with that as well. So, yeah. I thought what was really interesting about this question actually is the way that we might go and see somebody for preventative reasons. So if somebody is listening to this and like this uh, person who submitted the question thinks my skin's okay, but actually could it really hurt to go and see a dermatologist so that they see what my skin looks like now. And then if anything happens, at least we've kind of, for want of a better expression, got some sort of paper trail about what's changed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, medicine is now all about preventative, actually, and about, you know, holistic approaches, um, about looking at all of our body as well, because it's not just about what we're putting on our skin, but it's what about we're eating, the environment we're in, and how that influences our skin. And if we can get that um, right early on, actually, we'll, we will prevent a lot of things, whether it's skin cancer, aging or, or ever other serious conditions or ever conditions that we already have since childhood, just regulating them and preventing them from getting worse. Absolutely. agree. Okay. Jason, I have a question that I think is right up your street. And this is from someone who says, I would like to know if there are any downsides to long-term retinol slash tretinoin use. Should we be aiming to use it every day forevermore? The short answer is yes, we should be aiming to use it every day forevermore. And yeah, we see this a lot and we get a lot of questions from people saying, oh, should I delay starting my tretinoin, my retinoid until I'm in my 20s or 30s? Is it too, can you be kind of too young to start? And people have this kind of basically just misinformation that a long-term retinoid is unsafe. There's been lots of things bound around, around skin cancers and things like that, but it's all completely nonsense. Uh, the, the fact is that retinoids and tretinoin, the, the most potent retinoid is uh, absolutely fantastic for the skin there's a huge number of benefits affects all layers of the skin the kind of the epidermis your very top layer the stratum corneum and going down to the dermis and it boosts collagen it affects your pigmentation and it really is the only ingredient that you can apply topically that's going to kind of fight the, the visible signs of aging so 
the earlier you start, probably the better. Um, 20s is fine. Um, usually I'll tell my patients to start the thir- your kind of 30s is, is when you should start using it. And that's when I started using it myself. Um, but there's no long-term be- um, problems with it. I guess the, the only thing caveat to that is if you're having side effects from it, you don't want to be um, overdoing it with the retinoids because there, there are side effects such as irritation, dryness, sometimes skin peeling as well. Um, and that's usually just kind of experienced at the beginning of your of your tri- of your retinoid journey and most people if, if done correctly um will get over that stage and they'll be absolutely fine with it um but you do see people that just really kind of persevere with with side effects and and they kind of keep pushing it and they end up with problems so that's the kind of the caveat that i would say don't don't continue it if you're having side effects and you're not kind of responding well to to the retinoids because it's not a case of use use something really strong and you'll get a great result. It's no, no, this is something you ease into. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, it, that's the kind of the clear message that most dermatologists will give you is you start off kind of slow and steady and that absolutely wins the race. And that might be that you start a, a few times a week and build up your tolerance as, as you kind of, as you tolerate it, or it means you start on a lower strength um, and kind of work your way up to, to the more, uh, the kind of more evidence-based strengths. Now, this question made me think about something that a few people have said to me over the years. And so I'm going to ask you if this has ever been said to you and any of you, Malvina, Ben, you feel free to chip in. But I've had people say to me, if I'm using retinol and I'm using it for a sustained period of time and then I stop using it, will everything suddenly collapse and go back to how it was? Will it will I have an, an adverse reaction for having a pause? Jason, you look like you want to jump in. Well, yeah, so I, I think the thing is, if you stop it, you're, all that hard work you've done to build up your tolerance and to get your skin into kind of its kind of peak condition, it will gradually kind of wear off. So, yeah, after a few months, you're kind of going to be back to square one, really, in terms of tolerance, I think to say that you're going to then lose all that kind of vitality that you've added and uh, all the pigmentation, all the, the, the finalized wrinkles are going to come back. It potentially would happen over time. I don't think it's going to happen rapidly. Uh, but yeah, the main thing is you don't want to stop because you don't want to lose your tolerance. I think once you've got a kind of good tolerance level, you want to continue with the retinoids. Okay. Um, Malvina, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I was just going to add, obviously with retinoids, they actually have a direct function on the biology of our skin. So they change the way the skin behaves, the skin um, divides, etc. And those changes, you know, we, we've seen under a microscope and they happen over, over several months. If you then stop the retinoid, that biology reverses, but the effects you're getting on the skin um, will still be there. So it's not that you're going back to completely worse skin again. It's, it, it, it's, it's just your, you, you know, that acceleration that you're, you're getting with retinoids, um, the skin cell turnover, etc. Uh, stops so and as Jason said then your tolerance goes down again so you're basically if you're then restarting you need to start the journey all over again okay that's interesting to know Ben are you echoing what the guys are saying yeah I think that's right I I, I think it's more of a sort of maintenance project so I think once you get to where you want to um, it's a shame to to let all that good work uh, go to waste basically so you're it's like sort of maintaining your skin um, and that's where using retinol or retinoids help maintain it. So, so um, yeah, I agree with the guys, actually. So it's almost like the way I'm hearing it is you've got to think about it in the way that you would think about going to the gym. If you have a particular cardiovascular goal, for example, you wouldn't run a 5K and then say, 
I'll be able to do it in six months if I stop. Like you just got to keep that fitness up and it's the same with retinol use. Is that yeah. Okay, the gym analogy. <laughs> okay well Malvina I've got another one that I think you might like which might have a little bit of crossover the last one which is another message from a listener who says I'd love to know how to have a bright skin currently the winter weather the lack of sunshine and lockdown means that it's a very gray dull skin for me what can we offer for this lovely listener Oh, yeah. So we're going back to our favorite ingredient, and that's the retinoids, I'd say. So, um, yeah, I mean, retinoids have so many benefits. And really, there, there are very few people that can't tolerate and that don't benefit from it. Obviously, the strength and the type, there are lots of them around. There's over-the-counter ones, there's prescription ones, and it kind of depends a little bit where you're at uh, in terms of age, your skin type, and also what kind of skin problems you may have or conditions but I think uh, there is something for everyone and I think if you if you're not using one then that's I would say that that's the first thing I would introduce um, in the evening um, and and that in itself will make a big difference and then just having a regular skincare routine and that can just be a very simple thing just cleansing having a sunscreen and having then the repair cream I call it the retinoid cream basically um will really really um improve things and then there are some added expert things you know you can add your vitamin c's and some people like acids etc uh, those are all ben- additional benefits you know but I, I think the core uh for me would would be the, the ones I've mentioned yeah because when it comes to, to brightness in skin I know a lot of time people talk about do talk about acids, you know, those little pads that are saturated. I mean, they're, they're great, but can you actually use them with retinol? Because that's probably one of the other questions I get a lot, which is I want that brightness. So I want to use acids and I want to use retinol, but sometimes the skin might feel a little bit, that that's too much. Yeah. I mean, you, ju- you, you, of course you can, but you need to, it, 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 you need to just be careful how you do it. So, so uh, I think, so Start with the retinoid because I think that's the best benefit because retinoids have so many different things and get established on the retinoid and get your skin used to it. Um, And then once your skin is happy with that and if you can still tolerate because some people can't even tolerate retinoids even at low strengths or find it difficult or can only do it a few times a week. But if you can, then add an acid on top, absolutely. And, and, and there's no reason biologically or anything like that why you can't. I think the problem that comes with using the two is people start them at the same time or overdo it, their skin gets dry, it gets irritated, and then actually you're getting breakouts, your skin looks older and duller than it did before. So, so, so that's the problem. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, you, what you're doing is basically you, you're removing dead skin cells and you're smoothing out you're compacting the top layer of your skin if you like so so then the light reflects off our skin um slightly differently and that brings that brightness uh, um, along and that's why acids are so great and also retinoids too. it seems like what you're saying is that the fundamental most important building block of any skincare regime of really uh, of skin of having your best skin is that retinol is to get that um to get your tolerance up to get comfortable with using that and then anything else is is built on top of that but that's really the fundamental structure yeah yeah for me definitely but obviously there are some people who can't tolerate retinoids at all um even over the counter ones and then there are other really great ingredients um like azelaic acid is fantastic brightener as well 
um, you know, even mild acids. We've got PHAs now, which are fantastic as well. So people with very sensitive skin can benefit from those as well. Um, yeah, so um, those, those would be other favorites of mine. Now, away from a topical, Ben, I've got something that I think uh, will play to your strengths. How do you feel about LED? Because I've had a lovely question from someone who's saying, LED in terms of anti-aging and skin tightening and collagen production, I'd be really interested to know what you think. Are there any real benefits? And do you have any product recommendations? Um, it's interesting because I think um, LEDs, there seems to be a real sort of boom on LEDs at the moment. It seems to be very fashionable. Um, and I often get asked about it, not just for aging, but for acne. Um, and um, I think when you actually look at the evidence, the evidence is pretty weak. That's the bottom line for all these things. Um, there is definitely, uh, they do have a role in reducing inflammation in the skin. Um, and there are lots of acne masks out there for LEDs. Um, interestingly, uh, one of uh, quite a big brand have just taken their LED masks off the market because there's been some concerns about eye damage. Um, but uh, there are still loads and loads of products out there. And I, th I think, um, the bottom line is when you look at the literature, there is an there is a slight benefit for them, um, but the benefit's pretty weak compared to some of the other treatments out there. So for some oral medicines or some of the topical treatments, it's no better than that. Um, so for things, uh, for conditions like acne, I, I will recommend it if for some reason they can't use um, uh, all antibiotics or don't want um, or retinoids or topical treatments. So, so then I would use it for acne. Um, and for aging, I think, again, uh, the jury is is out as into how much benefit that they, they give. And actually, if you look at the evidence, the evidence for actually what we we're just talking about, retinoids um, or tretinoin is, is much better for um, aging because it stimulates collagen production. So like your scaffolding of your skin, um, is, is stimulated by tretinoin. Whereas with LED masks, the idea is that this high energy light basically goes deep down in the skin and stimulates collagen production. Um, but actually I don't really recommend them because I think A, they're very expensive uh, and B, there are much more simple things that people can do. And actually a lot of people don't have the right sun protection and sun protection, uh, you know, no point spending a thousand pounds on a LED mask if you have if you're not wearing sun cream. So um, I usually in the first instance would make sure that they've got the right um, sun protection. Also, I would try and introduce a retinoid if they can tolerate it because they're much more beneficial. Um, but uh, I think if, if people um, want, have got more money and they want to play with a toy, that's then I, I think that's down to them. Um, but I think the jury, in my opinion, is still out for their real benefit. Jason, are you on board with this? Do you agree with Ben? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think like light and kind of different wavelengths of light have been used with evidence in dermatology for years. Um, and lasers are another kind of way of getting light into the skin. But yeah, I think LEDs, they, obviously they're nowhere near the same power as a, as a laser. They're not going to get quite as deep into the skin to have their um, effectiveness. So I completely agree with what Ben's saying here. For LEDs and the masks, there just isn't the, the evidence uh, where we've got so much more evidence for the kind of the bog standard topical treatments and oral treatments that we use in dermatology. Interesting, because it seems like if somebody feels that they really want to make an investment, a financial investment, they might go towards that kind of purchase. But actually it's really interesting what you're saying is just make the investment should be that you're using your SPF more than 
that's else, such a really. good point, Emma. I think I'm actually a bit shocked. You've got three dermatologists here and you're the first person that's mentioned SPF. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, no, Ben gazumped me on that one. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I forgot to say, Jason, not listen to me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to scrap that then. Um, yes. <laughs> I failed the test there. Um, yeah, SPF, obviously, echoing what Ben has just said, is so important and prevention is absolutely better than cure. Yeah, it's just that idea of uh, of having that. It's it's like getting a. I'm going to use a gym analogy again, going and spending an expensive load of money on an expensive gym membership when actually the thing you need to do is just be active. And I feel like it's the same thing with the the SPF. It's just that's going to be a much better investment in terms of long term benefits than maybe buying a gadget. Definitely, if people yeah. are curious. I totally agree with that, Emma. I, I was just going to say that exactly that. It's it's like buying a very expensive exercise bike at home and then not using it. <laughs> um you you've you've just got to do simple things and actually not smoking as well as another thing so I, I do see people who are not using the right sun protection they're smoking and then they're they want to use a laser or something to try and um reverse the the photo damage where actually um simple things are worth doing first interesting okay right now we are going to move back onto you Malvina so this is a really interesting one. And this is the kind of question that actually I'm sure you get a lot, but it, it comes up a lot in the Facebook group. So I'm not surprised that it came up here. And that is, I would love to know what are the best products or ingredients to complement retinol use, particularly in perimenopausal and menopausal skin? Yeah, no, that's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, per perimenopausal and sort of menopausal times are a bit of a nightmare for the skin I think I mean generally any hormonal days for the skin obviously we all know um can cause all sorts of havoc um but I think at that particular time you know our, a our skin has a tendency already to dryness because you know we've aged a bit um and we've lost some of that um important moisture um but then the hormones sort of drive us a little bit to sort of almost you know sort of breakout prone um skin so um so how do you combat that when you're adding a retinol and and the retinols basically essentially at the beginning when you're when you're using them will will exacerbate that dryness so um what you want to do really is to use products to support the retinol that also support your skin so um i quite like just some nice gentle cleansers um I, if you've got very dry skin because uh, you know um you, you're at that age use use a very um hydrating cleanser you can use a little bit of a cleanser with a bit of pha in it for example i quite like that that's quite gentle if you have more of an oily tendency you can use slightly stronger um cleansers with better acids in it for example slightly stronger that's absolutely fine and then add a moisturizer to it to combat the dryness and um, there is a bit of a tendency to go for heavy moisturizers so there's lots of moisturizers on the market for sort of mature skin and they tend to be really thick and they tend to have a lot of oil in them and actually what i find is that it does the exact opposite it will cause quite dullness of the skin because it sort of traps the dead skin cells and it doesn't help the skin exfoliate and then um, it also causes breakouts um, so you know if you've ever put your mum's um, cream on you know it just is, it causes um, a bit of a nightmare so so go for lighter textured um, moisturizers with the retinol that you know don't cause any problems like that even uh, moisturizers that have sort of barrier um, repairing ingredients humectants you know have um, niacinamide in it, have um, 
hyaluronic acid, for example, is really, really nice as well to introduce those sort of things. And you're, you're basically trying to keep your skin um, hydrated whilst you're using the, um, the retinol and also cleansed um, with something gentle. And then, um, you know, once you've, you're fine on that routine, and obviously sunscreen, sorry, I've completely forgot. <laughs> really, really important. You have to use a sunscreen of your retinoid. Um, and also because you're using retinol anyway to, to, to prevent aging. So therefore sunscreen is absolutely into a you know, must with that routine. Otherwise you're just scrapping any benefit you have from the retinol. But once you have that routine established, you can then add things again, other things that, um, you know, vitamin C is usually quite gentle um, and quite nice and most people tolerate. So that's a really nice extra thing that uh, also improves collagen production. So that's an additional um, thing. And then you've got a really nice routine, actually, um, um, that can give you a lot of benefit over time. I think what's really interesting about this is that when anybody experiences a change in their skin, which I like to call turbulence, mm -hmm. There's, there's such a temptation to throw everything at mm. it, to go to you know go for higher percentages, to try a lot of different things and to really attack it from all angles. But actually um, it seems that what you're saying is if your skin is uh, going through any kind of turbulence, actually the best approach as a gentle one is actually stripping it back mm. and being kind to it rather than getting something at a high percentage and going have that yeah no absolutely so you you go what what is the problem first of all you know so is it acne is it pigmentation is it you know and what is the best ingredient for that and then what is your your skin type and that's dependent a bit on your age and and also what skin condition you have and skin tone as well um and and what do you want to achieve and it's that sort of combination so it can actually be quite complex, you know, and that's why actually sometimes it's, it's beneficial to see someone, you know, to put that together. And it, there's so much benefit from just getting it right. And I, I don't blame people for getting it wrong because, uh, you know, it is sometimes difficult and we're getting bombarded with so many things around us, um, you know, and there's a tendency to sort of just exactly that, get something strong because someone else was using it, but actually for yourself, it may be completely the wrong thing. So um, yeah, strip it back. Um, ask the key questions and if it's difficult get get help I'm curious as well and this is a question for all of you and maybe we'll start with Jason your response um, I, I know I'm hearing a lot of uh, brands saying this and um, estheticians who I speak to who are saying that there's a real um, there's a real trend at the moment for people oversensitizing their skin because of this exact thing is that what you're seeing in clinic huge huge problem and i don't want to use the word epidemic and uh, with everything else that's going on but actually i think that is that is the right word um at skin and me i think we did the stats the other day over 50 percent of our customers who sign up will say uh, they've got overly sensitive skin and we're seeing it a lot in clinic as well and the reason is absolutely this um this kind of tendency to throwing everything at your face and i think actually being in lockdown not being out kind of on holidays doing things that we're normally used to doing we're sat at home we're seeing our faces on zoom and uh, google hangouts and things and we're spending a lot more time uh putting things on our faces and investing in, in skincare um and this is causing problems for some people i think when you're layering up too many things we don't realize like the products we don't know how they're interacting with each other you actually do need to be a bit of a chemist to understand kind of at the level of the ingredients how they're interacting with each other so if you're putting on too many layers you're kind of adding active after active absolutely you're going to cause a sensitivity and 
some people that might actually go and go on into developing an allergy. It's not very common, but some people, when you kind of irritate the skin barrier and you throw on more active ingredients, you're going to potentially lead yourself to an allergy. So yeah, it's a big problem at the moment. And the key message really is strip it back, go to kind of supportive ingredients that are going to help your skin barrier and just use the actives, the kind of the minimal actives are actually going to work. And Ben, I, I'm guessing you concur? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And actually, um, just tying in what we were saying earlier, when you're using things like retinoids, the, that outer layer, that stratum cornea thins right down. So you actually absorb a lot more other ingredients. That's why um, we, we often use retinoids to help absorb other active ingredients. But when people, when I see patients with bags of products um, and they've been using you know, 10, 15 different products a day, you think each product has, is made up of so many different chemicals. So that's hundreds of different chemicals that are all being bombarding on these little skin cells. And you think actually it's no, no wonder some of them are starting to develop allergies and, and intolerance to some of these products. So yeah, I, th I think it is, it is a real problem. You said something there about the stratum corneum thinning yes. with retinal use. Yeah, with tretinoin. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Because um, yeah. sometimes I've heard people say that when they use retinol, it thins their skin and that's why they get a reaction. But that's not that's not necessarily the case, is it? That's not the Yeah, that's not the set. So, so basically, it actually thickens the skin because um, it's building collagen, which is right deep down. And it's also um, building up the actual skin cells. But the outer layer, which is the, the layer of dead cells that Malvina was talking about um, earlier, that does thin down. So the sort of outer cell, uh, the outer cell layer thins down, but not the actual skin. Thank you. I really want, I'm so glad I got that from tape, on tape from a dermatologist. <laughs> right. Um, Jason, I have another one for you. I think this is right up your street. How can we differentiate rosacea from general ruddiness and broken capillaries and what works on melasma besides hydroquinone? Okay, so rosacea, for the first part of this, how do we kind of um, diagnose rosacea? When you come to clinic, um, people with rosacea, there's different, basically there's different subtypes. So the, the ruddy redness, there is a subtype that can look very much just like that. So um, you just get redness, you get flushing, you get the broken capillaries that you see on that central face. And that is a classic feature of um, one of the most common subtypes of rosacea. Um, and yeah, how do you know that's rosacea? Not just a bit of kind of generalized redness. I think the key thing is when you come in clinic, we'll ask you lots of questions and we'll ask you um, if you have sensitivity to certain skincare products. And we'll ask you if you get flushing um, and we'll ask you about foods and kind of different triggers. So rosacea will basically, um, you'll say that you'll have different triggers. So potentially alcohol, spicy food, those are the kind of the classic triggers and um, stress as well. And you'll have flushing and, and uh, that kind of history will tell us and push us more towards this being um, a rosacea and, and sense a tendency to sensitive skin as well. But actually when you just look at it, a red face with broken vessels and, and, um, kind of a bit flushing yeah it can it can be very difficult to differentiate whether that's just their background skin type if they've got fair skin and, and they've had a lot of sun damage and a bit of genetics um, or they've actually got the condition rosacea um, so that's kind of the, the, it's really in the history and, and the examination that will help you determine that and then for the second part of the question so what was the second part it that was, was and what works on melasma besides hydroquinone Okay, so yeah, hydroquinone is really good for melasma, but there's a whole battery of, of treatments that we can use for melasma. Um, so melasma, for anybody that doesn't know, is 
generally a condition we see in females it's quite complicated and it's and it's what causes it we think it's a combination of sunlight of hormones of genetics and you get this kind of mottled pigment hyperpigmentation usually on the face on the kind of forehead the cheeks upper lips and it's it's really kind of common in the kind of 30s 40s often child if you if you're having um, going through pregnancy you'll, you'll get melasma um so main treatments are things that are going to affect pigment production. So hydroquinone will affect an enzyme in the skin that leads to the production of melanin and all the other treatments that are effective ultimately do the same thing. So our kind of our favorite ingredient of the day, tretinone, that is a kind of a, a kind of well-recognized, well-researched um, treatment for melasma and that will inhibit that production of melanin and actually reverse it. Other things as well, like azelaic acid, they work on the on the same enzyme. Um, if, you're, if you don't want to go down the kind of prescription route, there are other ingredients that you'll get in the cosmetic kind of sphere. So things like kojic acid, um, arbutin, there's lots of different kind of um, chemicals, compounds that really all, all kind of focus on targeting that enzyme that leads to the, the pigment. The other kind of way of, of kind of improving it is increasing cell turnover. So if you actually speed up that shedding of the, the skin cells, you actually will get rid of some of the pigment that way. So that's another benefit of using tretinone because that's another one of its functions that increases cell turnover and, and acids as well can help do that. So those are, the, those are my kind of other strategies for treating melasma. And because the listener mentioned hydroquinone, I'm just going to ask, like, that's not, you can't just walk in and get hydroquinone necessarily, can you? Um, no, so in the UK, no, you definitely can't get hydroquinone. It's a prescription-only medication. It's really wide, worldwide. It's kind of probably the most common kind of skin lightening agent that's used, but it it's, comes with side effects and it should be kind of only prescription uh, medication because if you continue to use it long-term, there's some properly kind of uh, terrible kind of side effects that you can get. So you can actually end up giving somebody a permanent problem that kind of dispigmentation we call it call it ochronosis and um, so that's one of the kind of the, the warning kind of signs that we we kind of talk about when people use it for too long so yeah it's definitely got to be prescribed it needs to be given by uh, a professional and and given with instructions on how to use it and not how not to overuse it now i did notice that both malvina and ben wanted to uh, chip in there so malvina should we come to you first what did you have to say about those particular topics i i just I was just going to say, Jason, you forgot a major, uh, major ingredient there, which is sunscreen. Well, I was going to say, I was trying um, to get my revenge on Jason. <laughs> because honestly, I mean, it's it's once you have melasma, as even if you treat it over the winter, as soon as you go back in the sun in the summer, it'll come back, and it can it can come back within like ten minutes of being out in the sun without a sunscreen. So, it that's like the fundamental first thing: just block the sun um, wear hats if you've got if you're really prone to it you know because actually sunscreen doesn't block 100 percent um so so that's really important as well as as treating some of the melasma actually by naturally by itself actually fades over the winter as well so you and then you're adding you know your your all the things that jason was talking about so uh but if you're preventing it 
from coming in the first place, obviously you'll get much better result. Ben, would you like that, to say something about sunscreen just to make sure that Jason <laughs> yep. really understands what went just wrong there? I just want to there? say, Jason, you missed the bit about sunscreen. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I was just going to say exactly what Maravina said. Um, and, and sunscreen is the most important thing for melasma. Um, but the other important thing to mention is it's not just blocking against ultraviolet, it's visible light as well. So that's where people can make a difference that you actually have to buy a, a sunscreen that protects against visible light because that will bring your melasma back. Um, so again, if you can wear a hat, that's going to make a big difference because it will obviously shade the sun um, uh, to, to a proportion. But actually you want uh, one of these sort of more physical sunscreens. They're not very nice to wear, but they will, um, things like with products like copper oxide and things and it will will prevent the uh, visible light penetrating and, and 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 causing the pigmentation to return so yeah sun protection i'm going to have to ask you to elaborate on that just for the listener who's thinking what's the difference between ultraviolet and visible light what what, what have i missed here so would you mind just distinguishing what the different types of yeah, light yeah. are please so, so so the sun emits lots of energy um the the uh ultraviolet part of, of um uh, the the sun's emissions are the things that that cause skin cancers and um and tanning so those are the UVA and UVB. Um, and, and actually, when you buy sun cream, um, the, the SPF is talking about the UVB protection. So uh, if you have an SPF 15, it will protect you 15 times longer than you would normally without it. Um, and that's just looking at UVB protection. Um, UVA uh, is another um, type of, uh, uh, of high energy uh, ultraviolet light that that's, uh, penetrates quite deep in the skin and that's really important for aging and also slightly less extent for causing skin cancer. Um, but that uh, is not measured by an SPF. So actually you have to look at the back of your sunscreen to either see if it's, if it's got a star rating, it may have a star rating out of five, it may have a, a UVA with a circle around it. Um, it may have a, a, a marker called PPD. Um, uh, you just want to make sure you've got a broad spectrum to protect against the, the ultraviolet part of the spectrum. Now, now the visible spectrum is, is, is what's out, which is normal daylight. So that's sort of red light, blue light and things. And, um, uh, and that is, is not really protected uh, much in, in most sunscreens. Whereas if you have a physical sunscreen, uh, something like more of a sun block block, or the ones that you know cricketers wear on their faces and stuff, that will block all the light going through the skin um, and uh, visible light's not so important um, in causing skin cancers and things but as we talked about earlier with things like LED things it does have a role um, penetrating quite deep in the skin but it can stimulate pigmentation in melasma so so you want to make sure you're protecting against all those ranges so that means by putting on something topical whether that's a chemical or a physical sunscreen and also a hat yeah. something between you and light Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, and the other thing to, you know, not, we don't want to go off on a complete tangent here, but, you know, obviously if you're blocking light completely, then you have to think about other things like vitamin D and stuff. So, so make sure your vitamin D levels are um, supplemented if you need to, but, but for melasma, what you want to do is make sure that you are really blocking your, your skin from ultraviolet and the visible light. It's such a balance, isn't it? You know, you try and do what your best with one thing and then someone says, well, what about your vitamin D? It can feel so confusing. Yeah. So I'm glad that we've got you here. Now, this is another one that is right is, is for you, Ben. And uh, uh, we are talking a vitamin B derivative, I believe. 
<laughs> I'm not the I'm not the dermatologist here. But the question from no. the listener is: Why is niacinamide great for most people, and others are sensitive to it and break out? How does someone who is sensitive to it work around it? Um, I think that's good. It's a difficult question because I think um, you know, as dermatologists, we often don't know the answer to questions. Um, uh, and sometimes see odd reactions. So we, we, you, you'll see someone um, who'll suddenly flare up, their acne will massively flare up um, with, with niacinamide. We don't know why, and there's definitely a small proportion of people that can get a, a flare up. And um, and actually, you know, it's not wrong. I, I don't think, I, I don't treat it like rocket science. I just say, if, if you're gonna flare up and it's gonna cause you problems, it's best to avoid it. Um, there's no there's no point trying to force um, yourself to use something if, if you know you're reacting to it. Um, and then, Would it be like me going to a nutritionist and saying, I've got a seafood allergy, how do I work around that? Yeah, exactly. And you'd be like, don't eat seafood. Exactly okay, that. I, I mean, that's what I would say. So I don't, I don't think, you know, if, if you're someone who's noticed it's, you're, you're not getting on with it or it's flaring up, I would just avoid it and, and use another ingredient because there's plenty of other ingredients. What are the other ingredients then that would be would give you a similar result? If someone's like, I want to use niacinamide because it will refine my pores, it will do this, that, and the other. Where would you uh, direct them? So I think it depends again, you know, on your sort of your skin goal. So so I mean, all these things there's is they're like a league table of ingredients of actives, and actually right at the top you've got tretinoin. We keep on coming back to it, but. Um, with its side effects and it does cause irritation and stuff, but it is it, it's by far the best um, kid on the block in terms of unblocking pores and skin tone and things. So, so you're sort of working your way down. Um, and I sort of, you know, if people can't tolerate that, um, then you can start thinking about other products we've already mentioned, like azelic acid. Um, and then it, again, if your skin goal is just about, you know, hydrating your skin, then you have to think, right, right, is there another moisturizer? Can you use hyaluronic acid? Or are there other products you can use to sort of boost your skin tone without having to use some of the more powerful actives? So, so it really depends on where you are in that sort of league table, where you want to, where, where you want your skin to get to, basically. But for someone who's thinking that they're missing out by not being able to use niacinamide, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Because they have a sensitivity or it just doesn't suit them. It's not that they are going to miss out because there is something else available that will get them. No. Yeah, there's, there is. Yeah, there's definitely something for them. Okay. Malvina, I'm going to come back to you because this one's a great one. Unless anyone has anything else to say about niacinamide. I, I would, it's probably worth just mentioning. So lots of people kind of 
call out that they've got a sensitivity or, or a kind of issue with a certain ingredient. And sometimes it's not the case. So I think that's probably the first thing I would question is, how do you know you've got a sensitivity to niacinamide? And it might be that they've just tried a preparation containing niacinamide, probably with a lot of other ingredients um, that they just didn't kind of get on very well with. So some, sometimes it's worth trying a different preparation, maybe a different strength, and, and they may tolerate that better. So that's, that's something just to think about. That's a good point well made. Um, Malvina, the next question is, I would like to know if it's actually necessary to wash your face twice a day if you don't wear makeup and aren't actually leaving the house much, maybe only to walk the dog in the countryside. Um, a lot of people might be thinking this in lockdown, like maybe they're wearing a lot less makeup, maybe they're not wearing makeup. Is it still necessary to do, to do your cleanse? I know. I look. I'd love to say no, <laughs> you know, because I I think um, you know, obviously it it would suit all of us um uh, at the moment in sort of our lo lo uh, lockdown lifestyle. But it, I actually think it does make a massive difference. Um, so it's it's not just about cleansing. So I get the point about not wearing makeup and stuff like that. But it's just the natural build up that we have from our skin. So you know, we we produce oil. Um, um, we we have dead skin cells, and um, and also also in indoors. If you're not wearing anything else, you should be wearing sunscreen sort of sunscreen actually for all the reasons that Ben already has gone into so 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 you are taking something off um and if you get into that routine that 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 sort of helps um remove the dead skin cells the sebum etc and that helps you again achieve that brighter healthy skin that um we all would like so um so my answer is yes um twice daily uh cleansing is always a good idea it's a resounding yes, listeners. <laughs> Not just a yes, it's a resounding yes. Uh, ben, we are back to you. This is a question I get asked a lot. And I remember years and years ago in my, uh, my days as a beauty editor on magazines, this was one of the questions that would come up tons because it was one of those things where everybody understood the skin types, right? You have your normal, your combination, your oily, and your dry. And then suddenly, somewhere along the line, someone threw in dehydrated <laughs> because we understood there was a difference. And the question here is, I would like to know the difference between dry and dehydrated skin. How do I find out which, which one I have? And then how do I treat it? Yeah, I, I think that, I think it is quite difficult actually. I think skin types, I think people, you either um, know your skin type or you fall into a group who, who are, you know, who, who really know what type of skin is or you have absolutely no idea at all so i have a lot of people and i say how would you how, what skin type are you and they're like i'd have no idea <laughs> um and I, I think um the way i look at it as is that anyone can have um dehydrated skin um so dehydration is not a skin type so dry skin is the skin type whereas dehydration is basically just talking about that external layer of skin so that stratum corneum that dead layer of skin on the outside of your of your body um and and anything can cause that water loss so if if you get fairy liquid and start scrubbing your face um in the shower and do that every day you're going to end up with dehydrated skin um whether you've got dry or skin or not so anyone can dehydrate their outer layer and on a normal basis uh, you obviously don't have to do that to to get dry skin but just just actually going outside on cold day with a you know, I've just come outside, come inside, and I feel my skin is dry because it's freezing outside, and you, your skin becomes dry as it's losing water. 
Um, so that's what a dehydrated skin is, whereas a dry skin is, is a much more deeper level of dryness. And that's not just about water levels and the outer layer of the skin. It's about um, oils and lipids and all, all the things that are deeper down in that sort of brick wall that your skin is. Um, so when you start having problems with the cement holding your bricks together, then you've got dry skin. And that's much more of a sort of a flaky, you know, dread, dry, sort of eczema type prone skin. Um, so that's how I sort of differentiate the, between the two. And are there any tests? I know that um, I, I've had people say to me before, just pinch your skin and you'll be able to tell what your skin type is. Are there any ways that you can in the mirror using your fingers figure out what kind of skin type you have or is that something that we need i don't think accurately do? no i mean there are you know there there are tests where you can actually test the amount of water that you lose across your skin which is an actual sort of physical test that you can do to test the hydration levels of your skin um uh, but there are other things you know there are you know when you're pinching your skin there are so many other factors involved um in in not just hydration so the amount of collagen and elastin these sort of um uh, scaffolding type uh proteins that are deeper down the skin that hold it together because obviously as you age um you know if you pinch your skin in your in your 70s you'll find that it will take a much longer time to relax back down to normal um, so, so I think it's it's not that easy to tell the difference. It's not that easy to tell the difference. So it's not there aren't any quick tricks, or it's not like if you've got dehydrated skin and you put a moisturizer on and it quenches it immediately, you won't feel like your skin's in flux anymore. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so if if uh, in terms of in terms of treatment, yeah, if you've just got dehydrated skin, then actually when you come when you come inside and you put in a, a put on a decent moisturizer then your skin will be will rehydrate and then you, you you'll, you'll be back to your normal skin type great uh, malvina anything to add on uh, dry and dehydrated no I, I i would just echo what ben said in terms of there aren't any sort of quick and easy tests and i think you know uh, people can get sort of a little bit bogged down in you know what skin type have i and therefore what skin care would you now do I need to have and that just brings me back to the same point you know there's it, it, it there's lots of different reasons why we choose certain things and and um uh, our skin also changes you know so we, we may actually have quite oily skin when we're teenagers and then have combination skin when we're a bit older and then actually have really dry skin when 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 we get sort of perimenopausal you know so so um and even even if we have one skin type um that may fluctuate from day to day so you know sometimes we feel our skin's a bit drier and sometimes it tends to be a bit oilier and again that might be to do with the cycle and stuff like that so I think our skin's dynamic it changes a lot and we sort of need to react to how how we feel but there aren't any quick tests that are reliable such as pinching that are evidence-based though. I might have quoted an old wives' tale at three dermatologists, and I will hang my head in shame later. Um, we're going to stay with you, Malvina, because um, we've kind of already talked about this on the podcast already. But um, this is about uh, female adult acne in the late 20s and 30s. What causes it? Uh, this listener says that she's believed, she believes there's a real rise in it. It seems to be much more common. And do you have to treat it differently from how you would have treated your classic teenage acne if indeed you had suffered with that? Yeah, it's it's a really um, topical question. I completely agree. And we are seeing more of it. And we're not quite sure why we're seeing more of it. And I think there are sort of a number of reasons. So 
just to sort of female adult acne can can be there there were sort of three main types one is basically you've had acne as a teenager and you continue to have acne it never got went away or you start having acne whether you've never had it before um or you had acne as a teenager you got it a bit better and then it sort of came back it doesn't matter essentially all it means is you've got acne and you're an adult um the the differential dif the differentiating thing is sort of that we do have a tendency more as we're um in our adult life that our skin as i said before gets a little bit drier and i do find that in our 20s and 30s uh, we tend to have more dry sensitive skin versus teenagers who will have much oilier skin and so uh in teenagers I guess we see more acne that's comedonal, so blackheads, whiteheads um, are sort of the predominant lesions, whereas in adult female acne, we may see more red spots, and the red spots may be more sort of in uh, hormonal, we call it hormonal distributions, but, you know, around your chin, your jawline. And so the treatments will be slightly different. Um, you know, you may be much more aggressive. So if I'm talking particularly dermatologist type treatments, um, prescription treatments, we may be much more aggressive um, in our treatments uh, in teenage skin, trying to really sort of not strip the skin, but take the oil away, use things that are quite drying, whereas you need to be a little bit gentler um, in, in adult acne. And then actually you can, uh, a lot of the treatments that we use in adult acne can also be anti-aging and sort of induced collagen like for example back to our uh, favorite um kid on the blog is known which can do both so um so uh yeah there is a lot of overlap but there are also specifics and then uh, i think one important thing is skincare and um and i i, I think uh, i can't over overemphasize enough how important skincare is actually in acne management um it's not just supports your acne treatment which as i said can be quite drying so you're counteracting that with your skincare but it is actually an essential part of acne treatment so cleansing you know uh having that regular skincare routine it, even just doing that can really really improve things so um and again in adult acne you might want to go a little bit gentler have um, more hydrating things you know um obviously there are some females who have have very oily seborrheic skin and then the treatment may mirror that of teenage i mean that's those are very big sort of categories but you know it's it's a bit more specific than that but roughly in a nutshell that that's sort of what i see the other thing is also just to look at lifestyle obviously um you know we um stress is um, is really important um and uh you know adult life work you know uh the seriousness of everything i think that can really impact on things um lifestyle uh you know smoking drinking um partying etc um can have a big impact diet um we used to say diet hasn't got an effect on the skin it does um it's difficult to show diet and the effect on the skin but um we, we definitely have patients that benefit from changes etc so um yeah it, it's it's important to look at all of that um if you've got acne in your adult life um and everything can have a little bit of an impact we're going to come back to stress in a minute because that's another a big question but uh, jason did you have something to add about acne i think the only thing i would add is that 
adult female acne is more it's it's a chronic skin condition so often it's you do need to set the expectation on on how it's going to kind of progress and it will often stick around for for years all often all the way up to menopause whereas when you've got a teenager in front of you there's a good chance you're going to say look this is going to be here for a few years and we're going to aggressively treat it um so yeah that that was the main thing i I just wanted to add so one approach is kind of short term yeah let's hit it the other approach is yeah exactly gentle okay um so antibiotics like are quite a commonly we love antibiotics um, in combination with topicals in, in acne because they work really well and they're anti-inflammatory don't tend to work so well for adult female acne um whereas things that are going to affect the the hormones so things like spironolactone uh, i'm talking about oral treatments now uh, are more effective and um the contraceptive pills so just trying to re re kind of set the hormone balance uh, those those types of treatments um, are helpful for the adult female acne. And these are all things that you would explore once you're in the hands of uh, a dermatologist. Of course, yes. Okay. Um, so speaking about stress, Marvina, and I do believe this is another one that plays to your strengths, is uh, someone has asked, I'd be interested to know more about the effect stress can have on skin barrier function. I know it can exacerbate conditions like eczema, but can it also impair the skin barrier and bring on sensitization? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question um, and just brings me back to all the environmental stresses on our skin. But yeah, um, our mind has an enormous impact on our skin and it has a direct impact on the skin barrier. And we know the skin barrier um, is down uh, when we're stressed and, and we can measure that. So we, as Ben was saying, you know, water loss through the skin and, and the scientific term for that is transepidermal water loss we can actually directly measure and so we know that in stressed individuals we lose more water and actually that is one of the main mechanisms of eczema eczema you have an impaired barrier function and that's why you're getting eczema to skin so so those are directly linked um so yes is the answer to that but there are also lots of other causes um or effects of stress on the skin apart from the barrier function so um you've you, it worsens inflammation uh, and, and it increases obviously the stress hormone cortisol so all your in- inflammatory skin conditions so not just acne but your eczema your psoriasis they can all uh, worsen with um, stress you can also get more sebum production so your skin gets oilier when you when you're stressed and so that can lead to breakouts um, and actually also it can um, cause aging so um, there's some studies that suggest you, uh, collagen is reduced uh, when you're stressed um, sort of this is more chronic stress over time um, so again that can impact on aging so um, yeah hu- huge impact on the skin all in all Okay, so um, we need to work on stress levels on all <laughs> on all fronts. Yeah, where possible. Absolutely. I, I mean, any anything that's that's good for our general health will be good for our skin, basically. But you can't you can't treat stress uh, and its impact on the skin with a topical, though. No, and that's why, again, going back to the holistic approach, that's why you know, and we do this now in in clinic. It's such an important important part we you know we look at the skin and diagnose you but then we 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 look at your mental health you know and and how does that impact on your skin and how does your skin impact on your mental health those are intrinsically linked and and if that is a major um, factor in your skin condition then it's got to be addressed otherwise your skin condition is never going to get better and vice versa so you know and there is a big uh, um, sort of area of dermatology now psychodermatology and we've got you know we've got some amazing colleagues who specialize in that and uh, who've also 
trained psychologists um, who've also trained consultant dermatologists, um, you know, and this field is expanding and, and it's getting a lot of um, voice now. And I think it's really, really important um, topic. And yeah. Did you just say psychodermatology? <laughs> yeah, I did. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, psycho psychodermatology, which is a it's a subspeciality now of dermatology, which is dealing exactly with that. Um, and wow. uh, yeah, you should yeah you should you should get a psychodermatologist on on here. Um, and 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 have a. Uh, I will now. I know that there there is one. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, they have fascinating insights into it. Absolutely. Ben, I have another question for you. Thank you for that, Malvina. Now, this one, for me, just really made me smile when it came in because I like to be prepared. I, you know, Girl Scout, Boy Scout, whatever you want to say. And this question is, I would ask, what over-the-counter topical treatment should I have in my medicine cabinet to treat acute or chronic skin conditions? And I love this idea of what should I have at the back, on the top shelf, available to me when it's 11 o'clock at night and I've noticed something and I want to blitz it. That's what I read in this question. I don't know if that's what you get. Um, well, that's a good question. Um, so I think, um, uh, so what should you have in your skin cabinet? So I'm, I'm thinking um, not for 11 o'clock at night, but obviously I would say sun cream is the most important thing just to get Jason um, before he tells me. So yeah, sun cream is the most important thing to have. Um, but that's not going to help uh, for your skin emergencies. Um, I think for acne, um, uh, I think a topical salicylic acid um, for sort of emergency blitzing of a spot is, is, is useful. Um, and would you be advising people to have one at around 2%? Because isn't that the level? Yeah, that you so, so around, around 2%, two, two um, a little sort of salicylic acid um, spot pens, are, they're, they're very popular. I think that, that's a useful thing to have. Um, but again, in terms of um, actual skincare products, I, I um, really think keeping it simple is the most important thing. Um, so, so not having uh, loads and loads and loads of different products. So um, in terms of, um, uh, uh, you know, basic products, so a good moisturizer, um, and by good, I mean that something that's hydrating, so something perhaps with ceramides in it, uh, or hyaluronic acids, um, and then a gentle cleanser. So I don't think you need anything too harsh. Um, so just a gentle cleanser in, in the cabinet is useful. Um, and then depending on um, what you're trying to achieve, um, I think for over-the-counter things, you can get over-the-counter azelic acid. I think that's a really good product to have. Um, uh, it's, it's useful because it's got lots of benefits. That, that would be one product I would suggest um, but again, um, depending on what your, your skin health is, uh, again, that's a really important thing. So if you've got a problem with your skin, then you, you actually, going back to what Malvina was saying, you actually need to see a dermatologist or, um, or someone who knows about skin so you have the right preparation. So if, you've, if your skin is unhealthy because you've got eczema, then you need either a topical steroid or a, a steroid sparing agent in your cupboard. Um, if, if your uh, problems are um, other conditions or, you know, things like rosacea, then you may again have azelic acid or a topical antibiotic. So, so I think it's, it, it really depends, going to the question, it depends what your sort of, again, your skin health and your skin goals are. If that's sort of um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ask this because I, this is where I thought the question might be going. And I think a lot of people might do this in that I have three things in my house at all times. And this comes from uh, what was in the bathroom cupboard when I was a kid. 
And that is an antiseptic ointment, TCP, and a nappy rash cream. Please, can we discuss? Yeah. Should I be putting those on my skin if I have because, something yeah. that suddenly appears that I don't think should be there? So, uh, uh, the other thing that you've missed of that is toothpaste for acne. Because a lot of people love <laughs> yeah. a bit of toothpaste on their acne. Yeah, again, I mean, um, uh, an antibiotic cream uh, is useful. And I think most people have got it in their, their cupboards. The problem is it's probably about 10 years old um, and there's probably either <laughs> contaminated or it's got absolutely no active antibiotic in it. Um, um, actually, uh, is that the same as an antiseptic? Yeah, no, yeah, different. So, 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 yeah, so, so different. Uh, an antiseptic or an antibiotic. So, um, but uh, yeah, I think that's useful if if you have got a, a skin, in, you know, a localized skin infection that can help. Um, even better, um, it, it, I find personally, is if you've if you've got um, uh, an inflamed spot, uh, then actually having a an antibiotic combined with a steroid um, is useful. But again. Um, this is the sort of thing you get prescribed by a dermatologist rather than rather than over the counter. Um, okay. Uh, barrier creams are useful. Um, so I know people have, uh, you know, for for sores and and chafing and things, people have, you know, lots of products like Sudacream and and things, which are, you know, they are useful. I think they do have a role. Um, I think that you know they're easy to to purchase. They help sort of protect the skin. Um, and they, they form a barrier over the top of it. And actually for really simple things like, like um, petroleum jelly, Vaseline are brilliant products for, for dealing with wounds or um, abrasions. That, that's a really good product to have. But again, yeah, the exhibit A. Um, but again, another important th tip of that is, is actually when people take something, use a spoon to take the Vaseline out of the pot rather than dip your infected finger into the pot. <laughs> because otherwise it's like a Petri dish. Because um, you think about it, people go to their Vaseline when they've got something um, on their body that's, uh, you know, festering. I think we've painted a it's picture. A I think thought, maybe we should stop there. For listeners to think of a festering wound. Um, and then they put their hand into a pot of Vaseline um, and then they leave it again for, you know, for a couple of weeks while that bacteria is, you know, breeding in there. So, yeah, I would use a, um, a spoon or something to decant it out of the pot be a cotton bag, yeah, a recyclable bag. one. Yeah, right, Jason, we're going to end the listener question section uh, with you and a very topical subject. Well, I have had a message from someone saying, how do we stop the breakouts our masks are causing? I haven't worn a stitch of makeup since March and I've got more spots now than I've had in my entire life. So this is maskne. Yes. So yeah, maskne. Um, absolutely seeing loads of this at the moment and it's a real problem. And yeah, the reason I think just go, let's go into why people are getting it. It's just that horrible kind of environment that wearing a mask for prolonged periods of time causes. So you've got heat, you've got friction, you've got humidity, you've got pressure. Uh, and, and people, the poor healthcare workers working in the hospitals and ICUs and on the wars with these very tight fitting ones, all those problems are kind of multiplied because they're wearing them for like 12 hours at a time and they're much tighter fitting. Um, so yeah, it's a real problem and it's causing a kind of combination of acne, so actual spots breakouts uh, but it's also causing like friction and we're seeing eczema and kind of inflammatory skin conditions as well so, uh, as well such as like perioral dermatitis so in terms of just how to treat it i think the main thing is like where we said it so much during this session like it's stripping things back so just removing anything from your routine that's potentially blocking 
blocking your pores. So if you're wearing makeup, try and avoid it. Try or try and make sure your makeup is, is very light and not comedogenic, so pore blocking. And you want to avoid any ingredients that are, are pore blocking. So just going back, strip back your routine, use a gentle cleanser. Um, and if you've got kind of proper mask, you, you might want to add a, a salicylic acid into your um, routine. So there's lots of cleansers that have that already in it. So something that's going to um, help unblock the pores. And then if you if you've got a, a moisturizer, you should go for a lighter one. So don't make sure you're not using a thick kind of heavy moisturizer and, and apply that as well. And then ultimately to treat the, treat the mask, you might need uh, a medical treatment. So um, topical topicals are your first port of call. So things like clindamycin, azelaic acid, uh, our beloved tretinoin. These are all kind of important in, ingredients that you can use to treat mask. Then the actual masks themselves. So it's important to actually use use a clean mask every day um, because I think about it, if you're wearing the same mask day in, day out, there's going to be a lot of buildup of bacteria and, and bacteria is one of the kind of the contributing factors in acne. So it's important to, to make sure you've got a clean mask. Uh, the other thing, there's some masks on the market now that actually have antibacterial properties. So things that are uh, got like silver impregnated within the mask and, and there's some evidence that this might actually reduce the bacteria and help with maskne. So yeah, those are the, the main tips I've got. I don't know if Ben and Malvina have anything else that they advise their patients. Oh, Malvina yeah. wants to say something. Uh, no, no, just, um, um, I, I find it's quite helpful to just take the mask off. So obviously you can't always do that when you're in intensive care all day, but like, you know, in between just, or even changing masks, you're using those disposable surgical ones. Um, uh, some of the silk masks are quite nice as well. They're sort of a little bit gentler and they don't cause that much moisture. It's that occlusion that you're getting in that moist environment that causes it as well. Um, there are some masks that have also sprays with it. They're sold, you know, so you can sort of spray them with anti septic um and they can be quite helpful um I, I, and, and yeah even sort of uh, salicylic acid under the mask etc all the sort of over-the-counter acne products just to just to help um can be quite helpful yeah that those would be sort of my other tips but it is quite a tough environment so the skin is I mean, it, it's it's not in its best place. Basically, the mask can cause it. So it's just a case of, as you're saying, strip things back, maybe incorporate some salicylic acid. I know that this listener said they hadn't been wearing makeup. So, for example, if that person's using maybe their moisturizer a little bit too heavy, could the kind of cleanser that they're using be contributing to it? And I was just thinking if they're using an oil-based or a balm-type cleanser, if there was any residue of that on the skin with a moisturizer on top, could that then actually lead to... Um, maybe seeing more of the breakouts. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I'm I'm not a fan of oil-based cleansers, I, and I know there is the you know there is a bit of a division about this. But in general, I think if you ask most dermatologists, we're not big fans of oil-based skincare per se, because I, I, we see so many problems with it in clinic, and maybe we were biased because we are seeing the problems that come into clinic. So. Um, I, I just say, even if you've got dry skin, particularly if you've got oily skin, but even if you've got dry skin, try and stay away from it. Um, and yes, if you've got anything oil based and then you're putting a mask on top, you're, you're, you're occluding. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, cleansers. I think if you, if you, if you have oily skin, you haven't got sort of a tendency towards breakouts, but then you're adding the mask and then you're getting breakouts. It might be helpful to use a cleanser that has a little bit of an acid in it, 
or is a little bit more foaming, a bit more drying per se. So, so you're balancing your skin a little bit more. But ultimately, as Jason said, you know, with these conditions, sometimes you just got to start prescription um, treatments. You know, even, GPs are they have they can prescribe all these things. So just you know, ask them get something. Just you know, even temporarily whilst we're doing it. Um, hopefully not for much longer. Um, you know, um, and get some treatment under and and, and treat it um, because they're really effective and and uh, and can save you a lot of time rather than trying out lots of different over the counter things. Well, thank you so much. I mean, now we've reached the end of um, the listener questions. But this really brings me to, I think, one of the fundamental things I love about what you guys do at Skin and Me, which is it's not a bot. So what we've just experienced here with you guys answering these questions is this is the exactly the expertise that's on the other side of the questionnaire and the interface that you have when you go onto the Skin and Me website. You'd like... Listeners will know I've done it. I've answered the questionnaire and I've submitted my pictures. And one of you guys has looked at them and then prescribed the appropriate skincare. So just, would you mind, uh, Jason, do you want to just talk me through the process a little bit and what ultimately the customer or anyone who's using that website is receiving and that they are actually, it's you who's looking at their skin, isn't it? Well, so yeah, the first off, it's not technically... Me, Ben, or Malvina looking at your skin. So we we are behind the protocols. We're behind the the questionnaire uh, and and the treatments. But yeah, it's our prescribing team who actually do review and provide the service. So just to kind of clear that one up, and they're all um, fully trained pharmacist independent prescribers. So they're kind of trained up to expert level by us basically to deliver the service. But yeah, so yeah, me, Ben, Malvina, we were involved right from the beginning uh, so when you as a customer come to us it's that the first thing you're going to see is the questionnaire the first thing that you kind of embark on is the questionnaire and that's really important it's it's all about um basically giving you the kind of a face-to-face dermatology appointment all the questions that we would ask in a, in a normal appointment and get, kind of really efficiently getting to the the core of why you're here what are your goals what have you tried before and uh your medical history obviously as well so that's the kind of the first part of it and then once you've submitted your questionnaire um you do your photographs so at the moment we're only treating the face so we'll get three photographs front left and right of your face and then those photos will be put in front uh, of our prescribers alongside your questionnaire and then they'll decide um based on what your skin goals are what the best treatment is for you and what tends to be well i tell you what my experience was my experience was is that i get the press release for every single new product new beauty product i've got a bathroom full of little bottles and pipettes and I feel like quite the apothecary when I come to do my skincare in the evening and my experience was I got my daily doser and I thought surely not it can't be this easy surely then I need more if a dermatologist has been involved if there's a pharmacist who's prescribing this and dispensing this for me surely it's not just a cream with a few ingredients in but actually and listeners will know this I've been using the the daily doser now for I've just finished my first one. My skin has completely just completely responded in a way that has never responded to topicals before. So talk me through that. Talk me through how you guys have taken something that could be quite complicated and made it so simple. Um, what I would say to that is that, that when we first um, 
when I first got involved in Skin and Me, what you were just saying there is the key to it, is that it, it's just simplifying what, what people do. Um, when patients come and see me, they often unload onto my desk a carrier bag full of products uh, with cosmeceuticals, some actives, all mixed in, and people just get so confused about what to use, and they will chop and change and have very little loyalty to anything because um, they'll feel that nothing works and actually when you when we when I unload them all on the desk I'll be like well that's that's okay that's okay all that is absolute not rubbish but it's, there's no evidence behind it working um, and that's the key to to what we do what we try and do at Skinemy is to actually use evidence-based ingredients um, which is tailored to that patient so depending on what your skin goals are and the, the questions um that you asked actually uh, it was Marvina, Jason and I who you know we sat down and argued well I wouldn't say argued discussed um, for, for a long long time to find out actually what do you need to answer what questions do we need to ask people that actually affects what what we prescribe um, and then you you can home it down to actually um, the key questions to find out what someone's skin goals are what their skin types are etc etc and then you can prescribe them um, three uh, active ingredients that actually work. So you can simplify um, what goes into that cream. And, you know, we, we often use tretinoin as we talked about, because that actually helps, as I discussed earlier, it helps the absorption of other active ingredients. And actually you can simplify what goes onto someone's skin. Um, and then once you've prescribed that, you have we have the ability to increase the dose over time. So we can, and that's the key, as we've talked about earlier, the main issue with things like retinoids is tolerance. So if you can get someone to slowly increase their tolerance over time, that they can actually sustain and, and use the cream. And then their, their concentration can go up each month till you get to the much higher, um, more evidence-based concentrations. And they'll, they'll still... Um, they'll tolerate the, the cream better and they'll get the, the rewards um, over, over probably a, a slightly longer time frame. but they'll get there um, rather than chopping and changing and having a dreadful reaction and, and just giving up straight away. Um, so uh, yeah, in, in a nutshell, we can give, give evidence-based um, uh, treatments in one tube and, and, and titrate that over time. And that to me is the genius of it. It's the the way that you build up the tolerance because we've talked about, I'm seeing a lot in my job and I know that as I've said, dermatologists, estheticians and you, we've already discussed, people are seeing uh, much more oversensitized skin. And I know when I go into my bathroom, I, I am not measuring out anything. It's like half a pet of this, a dash of that, a drop of the other. And there is absolutely no rhyme or reason about what I'm actually dosing. Like if I buy... Um, a bottle and it says it's got a percentage on if I'm putting half a pet on I really don't know what I'm ultimately delivering whereas with the daily doser you've got it written on there and it's been measured out by a pharmacist so you know exactly what you're getting and you do your one click and it's the perfect dose and again genius how did you how do you dose it how do you make sure that that one click is perfect um, well, again, there was lots of work behind the scenes in that because uh, as, as dermatologists, we, we are actually not very good at prescribing the amounts. So we'll say, here you go, here have this cream and apply it once at night. Um, and we'll have some people, patients will come back having used up a tiny amount of cream over three months and some people will go through the tube in a week. Um, and actually that um, is very hard to sort of 
you know monitor results when people are using different amounts so so what we did um uh well, what the, the team did is they actually uh worked out the um, exact amount that is needed to cover the face um so it dispenses the exact dose um that that, that treats your entire face so then we are helping people deliver the right amount to their skin um and actually we can we, we we then get much more used to dealing with how people react to the creams at different concentrations um so so it's it's come with time basically and i think malvina one of the things i really like about the offering is the fact that um you might go to skin in me because you think oh my goodness i need a dermatologist to take a look at my skin i need prescription strength topical ingredients and then you get such a lovely result after three months and you think well now what I don't need the same thing what I love about the offering is that you can actually go back in and say hello can we reassess my skincare goals please and subsequently your following daily dose will adapt according to what you need that's right isn't it yeah no absolutely so I I, I think you know uh, that, that, that's sort of the there are many different skin goals and uh, and um, we have different ingredients and we can adapt them and personalize them to whatever is uh, the problem at that time we appreciate that your skin is changing and as your skin is changing our prescriptions can change so absolutely there's that point of it but even when you don't want to change your skin goal and your skin gets better and this is something that we've already alluded in beforehand maintenance is such an important part of it you know your people tend to treat things and then just stop everything and actually you know particularly for chronic conditions like female adult acne for example you need to maintain things even if you don't use them as much or as high as at high strengths you know um it's to to keep that result uh, and and this is why this service is is, is so good um, and so convenient. And I guess, um, Jason, let's bring you in for this final point, because I love this about it too. I love the fact that you look after people's skin. I love the fact that, um, I mean, as, as someone who's using the service myself, I have complete confidence in it. But I like the fact that you take the other aspects of being a beauty brand, if you want to put it that way, seriously. And that's that the daily doser is 100% infinitely recyclable. And all of those things were really important to you just as much as being able to deliver the prescription um, level uh, topical ingredients and also being able to give you the right dose, weren't they? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So I think, yeah, sustainability is really important to everybody at Skin and Me. It's like part of our kind of ethos. And it, yeah, I rightly said, so the daily doser itself is mainly aluminium. There's a little bit of plastic in it, but it's it's the aluminium is infinitely recyclable and the plastic we use is recyclable. And the package that comes to your door is uh, one single piece of cardboard. So it's ultra kind of light. It's recyclable as well. Um, and everything that we put into our daily doser is vegan, it's cruelty free. So yeah, the kind of the whole supply chain we, we look at really seriously and make sure it's as kind of ethical and sustainable as possible. It's which is, so, which is something I know so many listeners are so concerned about and really take into account when they make their beauty choices. So it feels like the perfect way to end. Not only do you get all of this dermat dermatological expertise, you also have a brand that takes being ethical and sustainable really seriously. Thank you so much, everyone, for being so generous with your time and your expertise. I've had a ball. It's been great. Thank you so much. Um, Malvina, do you just want to sign off and say cheerio? And then um, uh, we'll get Ben to do the same. Malvina, say cheerio. Cheerio. Thanks very much. <laughs> and Ben, do you want to say ta-ta to everyone? Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you find that conversation helpful. Just a little note, if you head to the show notes, there's actually a discount code that applies to this episode and applies to Skin and Me. So head on over there now. The show notes can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It also contains the link to the Facebook group, which uh, all you have to do is answer three questions, agree to the form rules, and you'll be welcomed in to join thousands of other listeners of this podcast. You can also DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns, or if you want to email me directly you can email me on the beauty podcast at gmail.com thank you so much for listening i will see you on the next one